I'm Carrie Benedet, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalize you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me I'm an education consultant specializing in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Listeners, I love the fact that I have Ron Williams on this episode of Thriving Matters podcast with us today. So huge shout out. How are you today, Bron? I am excellent. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) And that was a definite, I am excellent. Don't you love it? Here's a gal who is doing extraordinary things in life and work. She's thriving to the nth. She looks bloody fantastic. And I have known Bron, I'll declare, I've known her a little bit over the last few years and uh, it's just a great opportunity to tap in and see where the journey's taken her to date and what um, what she can share with us about her thriving strategies because we know that it's not easy it's it's bloody hard some days and um, it's such a joy to have you on so tell us Bron how did um, how'd you get out of bed this morning what what actually helped you get out of bed Ah, well, I have um, I have a morning routine, and I think that's actually helpful. Um, I've always been uh, an early bird. Um, my partner uh, starts work at six a.m., uh-huh. so he, he heads off about five thirty, and that's my cue to get up. So we're early to bed, early to rise, people, and you know, it lit floor that gets you set. For the day and I have um, uh, my just my usual routine I've been I take some medication for my thyroid I've had that for 30 years so that's the first thing I do that get that out of the way and then you know I go off and make myself a cup of tea <laughs> wash the face all of those things to brighten myself up and then I go back to bed for an hour and a half and I have a, a ritual again there uh, that just helps me get ready ready for the day. So I journal, I read poetry. I real I have always loved poetry, but I've been much more intentional about reading a piece of poetry every day. I always have a non-fiction book on the go and a novel on the go. So I read a little bit of non-fiction and then a chapter on, of a novel. And so I feel as though, and then I play some games on my phone. My brother and sister and I play a series of, you know, Wordle and Quirtle and all of those sorts of things on the phone. And so I get that done too because that wakes my brain up. Make Doing those puzzles every morning gets my brain nice and sharp and ready to go. So oh. that's how I, that's my everyday morning. Well, do we need to talk about anything else? You've just described a brilliant routine. <laughs> I love it. Well done. And, you know, you have ticked off a number of things here. You've actually ticked off 
Yeah, um, what Mel Robbins would actually say is, is get out of bed. Get out of bed and give yourself a high five. That's exactly what you've just done, you, you describe, I think. Uh, and I love the fact that you've got a whole range of things in there. The, the books, the, I really love the poetry. I really love the poetry because more and more people are actually sharing what it is that gets them in tune with themselves and with their imagination, but also with how they can see through a different lens for the day. Yes. Um, moving to gratitude. I mean, if, if you can write poetry, it's just stunning. Um, so, look, thank you for sharing that. Listeners, I hope you actually have a pen and paper, you have your journal ready to actually write down and, and tick off and go, you know what, I could use that structure that um, that Bron's just given us and I could just look at how I could just tune up or amp up one or two things in my day. I have a, I'm going to share with you that I love waking up. Now that daylight saving has ended, it's not as dark, but I do like waking up, going and sitting outside to greet the morning with a cup of coffee or and just making sure I get some morning light. Uh, making sure I actually take notice of what I can hear. The birds are crazy. Um, what I can see, the clouds at the moment are just brilliant. I love clouds. So that is part of it. And then I go, right, time for a walk. Out you go. Um, and uh, if I can do five messages to people, five of those outreach, just thinking of you, you came across my thinking today, sending a hug. Easter's been beautiful because it's all about renewal and refreshing. No matter what religion or faith you are, there's always some beautiful um, uh, traditions that we can tap into. So we're now into the, the autumn season here in Australia, which is even better. And I, I do like a little bit of cold. I'm a little bit unusual. Anyway, thanks for that. <laughs> now, listeners, you don't know. I've just thrown bronze straight in. So you've gotten to know a little bit about her already, but let me tell you about some of the things that she's been up to in her rich life. Um, she's been instrumental in education, not-for-profits. Um, she's taught multi-grade classrooms. She's led a school. She's run a Salvation Army church and a welfare centre. She's worked with asylum seekers on Nauru. And that I think when I read through your uh, bio, Bron, that was quite instrumental um, working up there with Pacific Islanders. Um, you're basically countercultural, family-wise and cultural expectations, um, which I think is is a badge of honour. I just think that is such a great thing. So you challenge societal norms about what ageing looks like, yes. You've reformed and reshaped your career twice, not just once but twice. And so you're a gutsy girl. You are an ordinary gal who's doing extraordinary things in life and work. So add a little bit more to that story. Tell tell our listeners a little bit about a bit more about you. Yeah. Look, I grew up in what I consider to be very normal circumstances. Yeah. I'm the eldest of three. Um, I grew up well. You know, born in the '60s, a teenager in the '70s. No, I was born in the '50s. Sorry, primary school in the '60s. Um, teenager in the 70s so you know I considered my life to be very normal we were churchgoers my family was um, quite religious and so probably even in my sort of social group I was a little more conservative than others but it was just just normal that was you know how we lived life 
I, in a sense, followed in my mother's footsteps. And I see that people in, particularly women in my generation, we've been a bit of a transition generation from the mm-hmm. typical motherhood family role that a, mother, a woman has through to career role. And I think we've straddled uh, that. But I certainly took that more traditional route because I, that's what I I suppose that's what I saw modelled, but also, you know, that fed into, you know, what I thought I wanted to do as a woman, even mm. though I trained to be a teacher and did teach for a few years. And so did that, you know, had three sons, lots of part-time teaching, supported my husband uh, in his work and didn't really give a great deal of thought about what do I want to do until probably my mid-40s, late 40s, and I have discovered that a lot of women do start to do their soul-searching about what do I really want to do in that midlife yeah. time. And so, I again, just saw myself as quite normal. However, behind the scenes, I wasn't happy. Um, when my youngest son was two, I considered leaving uh, my marriage. But thought, where do I go? <laughs> what do I do with three children? couldn't actually figure out really why I was unhappy. There was no nothing overtly wrong in the marriage. It just didn't seem to matter what I do. Um, things didn't get better. And I had this little mantra that said, if only I can get this right, because I was taking all the responsibility for the health of the relationship. So, you know, sort of fast forward, I turned 50 and that was my that was my jubilee year in the um, in the Bible. They talk about the jubilee year, which is fifty <laughs> years where the land lies fallow, people yeah. who are in bondage are released. And so that was my jubilee year. Um, I left my marriage, uh, again, not really knowing why I was leaving, just knowing I couldn't stay yeah. any longer. Mm. And it took me eight years. It wasn't until actually I was on Nauru, had gone, was doing some. Um, some, just some training, you know, so we were looking at different ways of communicating and one of them was passive-aggressive communication and I'd already recognised that my ex-husband was passive-aggressive and I literally the paragraph that was on this sheet that I was reading could have told me my life. I looked at it went, that's my life. That's what I lived with for 28 years and that was the start of me really understanding that passive-aggression is still aggression mm. and that being a recipient of that is is the same as being a recipient of verbal or physical abuse so although there were no no, no shouting no you know physical uh, abuse i had been um a victim of domestic abuse of, of, like emotional and neglect so that took a while to really come to terms with. But that was the time, it was during that time that I was uh, working with the Salvos, became an ordained minister um, and did a, my uh, honours degree uh, in theology. And as you said, went to, went to Nauru, which I defy actually anybody to do something like that, which takes you right out of your comfort zone and not be changed. And, oh, yeah, and you, I think you're quite right. I think... There are a lot of women who really don't know what to do. Um, And I also think at the moment we're we're actually seeing an escalation of um, trauma associated with 
um, the whole environment when COVID was here, when we had particular yes. lockdowns. I think um, I work uh, a lot in education, so we've we've seen we're seeing quite a lot of um, interesting behaviour, traumatic behaviour, and response um, in that situation. But for women in particular. Um, especially if they've been the main carers of the family, yes. lessened opportunity for superannuation or um, uh, leadership yes. positions, uh, higher income earners. I mean, I think this is really something to consider. And the women I am meeting are magnificent. They are just magnificent in, their, in mm -hmm. the way they have managed different situations, such as you described, have gone deliberately out of their way mm -hmm. to challenge themselves or to find out what it really is that's that's sitting underneath things and let's face it when you yes. in our era and, and you and I are very similar in um in our um in our birth dates um in our era um we did we did follow and I remember being told very clearly teaching was a very good profession for you to have because you could actually help with the income later on you could actually yes. have a, you could have a job that's really part time and still look after the family, you know. And yeah, I have one daughter. We've got we've got three boys like you, and one one daughter. And she says to me, you know, my my friends, and she's around thirty seven this year. She said, my my friends. We often talk about our mothers, and I go, okay. So I tune in, and I tell me what she says. It's not bad. <laughs> it's just we're just talking about what the difference is what are we seeing in our in our mothers because of how they were part of an earlier era and early different expectations yeah like you conservative catholic family i didn't realize there was anybody who was called a c of e church of england <laughs> they're only catholic until i love it and, and, i love it and i used to go I'd rather a good CV. I used to just disrupt the conversation. I'd rather a good CV than a rotten Catholic. <laughs> so that that's the, even even the girl, the younger women, sort of look at us and go, "Holy dooly, yeah, you, you I, did you feel like you had to do the lot?" And I said, "Actually, yes." In hindsight, yes, absolutely. Like going to Nauru, I actually walk Kokoda, and that's part of my ah. yeah. I walk Kokoda for, uh, for my fiftieth. Um, was and was absolutely I, I I call it the, the mammoth experience of my life because really it's created a mess yes. now <laughs> and I'm and I'm just going right you're only you're only here for a certain amount of time make the most of it and so I just this is why I love having yes. conversations with you all men and women alike I mean many many men have have very interesting stories as well the different viewpoint and I would always advocate for um not us and versus them but no. together together we have much to learn from each other and about yes, each other. Yeah, yeah yeah oh dear well there you go there's some synchronicity already <laughs> well I always ask everybody Rom what it is um and you've already explained some of the um things that have occurred in your life that have gotten you to where you are now well, you've mm -hmm. talked about a, your morning routine but has there been has there been something or someone um, who has been instrumental in 
being part of your circle of trust, your circle of that you surround yourself with, because we all need anyone who's working by themselves, whether you want to call yourself a, a, a solopreneur or an entrepreneur or mm. um, a founder or whatever it is that you consultant, whatever it is, um, we all need yes a backup system. We all need um, a, a circle of, of trust, and um, we've got to choose. We've actually got to be quite deliberate in choosing who who is there who we listen to who we go to for for advice or you know when we've got a major challenge to think things through so is there someone in your life like that yeah I'd actually like to speak about two people the first is a my good friend Carolyn who was who walked the separation and divorce journey with me now there's no one in my family who has divorced um being part of a church divorce was so rare and Carolyn herself is in a long-term like 40 plus year marriage but she just walked the journey with me she was the probably the only person who did and you know because people fall away when life gets tough they and I don't blame them necessarily it's just often they don't know what to do but Carolyn would often say to me, I don't have any answers for you. And the reality is I didn't need answers. I just needed someone to be beside me mm. as I walked. Mm. So that she was just, and I will be eternally grateful to her for just being there. And she did that for years for me as, as a confidant, you know, the sounding board. And then the second person is my fiancé, Bill, because I got engaged last year and we're getting married in July. Oh, beautiful. Oh, very exciting. But even early in our relationship, Bill would say to me, I'm proud of you. Now, I, before wow. this, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say to me, from, despite all my achievements, anybody say, I'm proud of you. So that, and he's a man who is not like, I'm doing my PhD too. He's not academic. <laughs> you know, he's education wise, he finished high school. He's, you know, he's a forklift operator. Like we're talking cheese in that way, but he's not at all threatened by my intelligence or the things that I've achieved. He's just proud of me. And he tells me that over and over again. So he can't, contribute to the work that I do he doesn't like I don't understand forklift stuff either he talks about it and I try to imagine but I have no clue he doesn't have any clue about what I do but he is proud of me and he tells me regularly that he's proud of me and that for me has been one of the most significant things in my life just someone who says that when I (laughs) and I'm sure you'll understand this and I'm sure a lot of your uh, audience will too, you know, when you're trying to achieve things for yourself, you you know, you achieve this and then you've got the next thing to achieve and then the next thing. So you just keep setting the bar higher and, you know, I can always say that I haven't gone far enough. I haven't achieved enough. I haven't got enough success. Whereas all Bill just says is I'm proud of you. And the reality is what I'm doing is, is great. And I need to stop sometimes and just celebrate that and that's what he does for me and he helps me do that i i just had an image i tend to work in images or a song goes through my head while someone's Mm. 
talking and I just had an image of him levering, using the levers on the forklift to actually each time he you you achieve something, you get to there, he's he ups the lever. I'm proud of yeah. you. And it gets it just gets amplified all the time. That's where <laughs> that's where my I like that. I, I like that. He is I significant. Do. He's a significant forklift in your life. He is a significant forklift in my life. Yes. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> it yeah. is. It's gorgeous. Well, they say opposites attract, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And yet, you know, we share so many things, like a love of reading. Yeah. You know, we, we enjoy football together. We like going for walks. Like there's a lot of, and we're both early birds. So, you know. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. So there's a lot of life that we're in. And, well, interestingly, the thing that I think brought us together, because, of course, we met online on Plenty of Fish, uh, was <laughs> that I had I'd done a bungee jump in New Zealand and I had that photo up as part of my profile. His first words, like message words to me was, I see you've done a bungee jump. I did one in Christchurch. And so after all the, you know, the, the, the men who go, oh, hello, sexy, oh, hello, sexy, but and it's like, here's a man who can talk to me. He found a point of connection. Yeah. And he used that as his first, his opening line. And I'm thinking, wow, I might be able to talk to this person. Well, you, it's, you've got to be curious. You've got to lean into curiosity. Absolutely. And, you, and I think that's the beauty of technology that we're, we're utilising. Um, mm. A bungee jump's pretty brave. I, I thought going zip lining last yeah. Friday was pretty brave. <laughs> I, I did see your uh, your post about that. <laughs> and, and then I, I just said to someone earlier today, I said, oh, I debated whether to put that video up because I wasn't looking at all pretty because that, <laughs> and I said I was far more relaxed and that was the last zip line than I was in the first. And then I, I got brave and I stuck oh, one yeah. of the photos up that my daughter took. And the look on my face when I I got up, uh, across the first air bridge <clears throat> was yes. uh, yeah going I I don't think I want to do that again <laughs> quite frankly <laughs> and that's perfectly okay you do it and you go I'm I'm done that's cool that's cool oh right I love it and congratulations and every best Thank wish you. for for July when you're getting married that'd be beautiful. Thank you. Oh, look, you know, one of the things um, when we when I talk to people, it's about the, this notion of thriving and how how do we actually get to the point where we've got some some skills or some strategies that we use that we know work because they won't work in every situation. So when we're really when we hit, when we do something, a major change happens in our life. It really hits our values our beliefs mm. and our assumptions, we we actually have to dig a little bit deeper and maybe find some more sophisticated tools to help us or, or what. And I just thought I just wouldn't mind your thoughts on yeah. on how you see that, particularly for I, women, particularly for yes. women. Mm. I love the word, like you said, let's dig a little bit deeper because as you were saying that I was having this image of digging in the garden. Like when you plant a new seed, you actually have to make sure that the soil is okay, that you've removed all the weeds, the stones and things. 
And I believe that that is essential for anybody uh, who is wanting to make changes that are significant in their lives because all of us have things that cling. You know, for me, it was was not only the divorce, but it was all the church teaching that went around that about the place of a woman, what a woman can and cannot do, um, and also the whole passive-aggressive thing. And Unfortunately, churches are very good at passive-aggressive because they don't know what to do with their anger. You know, you, everybody's just got to be nice. And so passive-aggressive becomes a way of normal, you know, how do I... I push everything down. I don't actually deal with stuff. So I have to had to deal with all of that. And it's not just about recognising what has happened to you, what you've experienced, but it's about, and it's not even just about a letting go, because sometimes it's actually about digging out, out. or, like you know, to use another mm -hmm. metaphor, unpicking. Yeah. Um, I taught, I wrote a story last year called The Patchwork Girl, which is all about seeing life as you know a little girl who grows up and she's just beautiful as all little girls are but the expectations of other people get sewn onto her like a piece of patchwork one piece here one piece there one piece there and then of course you know that comes from a, her parents who tell her what a good girl should be it comes from her teachers who tell her to sit down stand up don't scratch don't talk in class comes from her friends who tell her what clothes she should wear, what language, you know, the lingo that she you should use, what music she should be listening to. And then she grows up and thinks, well, as an adult, that's what you do as an adult. You take everybody else's expectations and ideas and assumptions and you just put them onto yourself. Until, of course, there comes a point uh, in, you know, the Patchwork Girl's life where she can't take that anymore because it's too weighty and it hurts. So she decides she has to unpick everything uh, until she's got rid of all the expectations um, of others. And sometimes there are her own expectations, you know, the expectations of others that have become really deeply embedded and enmeshed. I think that that work is not easy, but it's essential because unless we figure mm. out what it is that we've taken on to ourselves, whether it's, you know, you use the metaphor of the weeds that have grown up around your seed or the patchwork pieces that have been sewn on, we actually have to get root them up. We have to unstitch them, unpick them, mm. get rid of them to get back to our true selves. And sometimes that takes a longer period than others, just depending on how long you've been alive. And that's part of what I do with my work of plugging women into their power because I don't want women to have to get to their 60s before they do this work or they understand. I want women in their 30s to start recognising these things so that they can live more freely and fully and with greater power, the intrinsic power that we all have as women. Um, yeah, because I don't think you should have to live till you're 60 to figure this out. No, and I, I, I totally agree with you. I wish, I wish in hindsight I had known a whole oh. lot more about who I was as a younger as a younger mum even um yes. and we have we have some resonance um i i often describe myself as a loyal daughter i'm the eldest ah, six, eldest yes. six, loyal daughter and um 
And so, yes, the, the, the last few years, the, that, that walk in Kokoda was deliberate mm. but with yes. me because of what was happening to my family and my my whole being of being the mum of four um, yeah. and still also being the loyal daughter at the same time. And, yes. And so that's an, that's an interesting concept. So that walk up there in PNG, uh, yeah, there was a there was a fair few wet faces and screaming and yelling and and because you're way up there in the top, um, you could you could actually do it and a lot of and it was very therapeutic. But yeah. it was afterwards when people when I got home, people said to me, "What whatever possessed you for going?" Apart from my, my husband saying you start. Are you stark raving mad? And I went probably, but I'm doing it. He said, yes. "Okay, go go do what you have to do. Go go and do it." Yeah. And I, um, when I got home, a couple of people said to me, "Well, why? Good, really good close friends who just couldn't, I couldn't understand. I read their facial expression, their body language. They couldn't understand <laughs> why in heaven's names would I go and do that to myself? And um, I actually didn't have the words for them. It was too raw when I when I yeah. came back, yeah. and um. And uh, you know, people to say, "Oh, it made a real difference, didn't it?" I said, "Absolutely, it's it's made yeah. a difference, and yeah. it's taken a while. It's not something that happens overnight. That work that you do on yourself, you've actually got to, you know, let let that go, but also create who you want to be, who you want to become. Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, not just content absolutely. to be who you want to become. Yeah, I love it. Mm. Oh, well done. Yeah. Look, tell us a little bit about your um." plug into your own power you've got particular programs that you you have yes I um I have sort of two um arms to my business one is mentoring and I have a uh, a group mentoring program called roundtable and that's a three-month program 12 weeks that I take women through women who are ready to I, I say on the cusp they're ready to change. Mm-hmm. Um, not so they're perhaps moved past any trauma. You know, I, like tra- you never move completely past trauma because even as I was talking to you earlier about my uh, my early married life, my stomach is churning. You know, it's yeah. just a visceral reaction to something, and I don't think that ever goes away. Mm. So, but yeah, but who've got some distance from whatever trauma that they might have been working through and it doesn't have to be huge because you know trauma is trauma you know it's on a on a continuum like so many things but women who are ready to on on the cusp of wanting to make change so whether that changes in their personal life changes in their professional life they might be wanting to get out of employment or corporate and into something on their own they might be wanting to shift gears in business in or in their careers you know take it up a notch or go somewhere that they hadn't expected to go before. And so the mentoring process is about women looking at themselves. It's not necessarily about strategy, but it's about women looking at themselves so that they can see what... So we look at change, conflict and communication Mm -hmm. because change often brings conflict and you need to know how to communicate as you're Mm -hmm. moving through it all. Um, so we look at the things that are keeping us anchored you know what are the things that are stopping us from making that change and then what are the things that we can use to move forward we look at conflict and and then we look at communication 
And through all that, we look at our drivers or our biases. What are the things, our preconceived ideas, or as somebody I listened to on a TED talk called our unconscious checklist. And I thought, oh, I like that. You know, isn't that a great way of looking at it? You know, she used the um, example of if you, if we say, think of a pilot, she said, now, you know, on the top of the checklist will be knows how to fly a plane, can fly a plane. Like they're the two things that they really need. And then, but underneath all of that, she said, there'll be all these other unconscious things because she's, you know, she said to her audience, I'm sure when I said that you probably thought of a a white male and then your brain said, yeah, but I know it's not just white males. So I'll think of a black male or maybe I'll think of a white woman or maybe I'll think of a black woman. But she said, it's that white male, which is the unconscious checklist underneath. Yep. that then becomes the norm that we've then got to go, no, that's not actually not quite right. So, but I loved that idea. Yeah, but we need to be start to become aware of what these drivers, these unconscious checklists are, because they do have such an impact on our decisions oh. and on our relationships. Massive. Well, unconscious bias, people say, what the hell's that? And I go, let's let's unpack it. Let's have a think about what it is. Mm. And I do like the checklist. I instantly instantly thought of Sully when you said <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and what's your second? What you've got your mentoring group? Oh yes, so mentoring, and then so um, doing keynote speaking again around. Um, I call my keynote speech uh, "Superheroes in Disguise." Yeah, lovely. It's about helping women see that they are the superheroes, but uh, that it's as we. No, understand what our drivers are as we are able to articulate our needs, as we develop the art of self-reflection and as we identify our values. Those are the ways that we can really plug into our power. And one of my least favourite words in the whole of the English language is empowering because for me, I see that as somebody else is empowering me. I know that women are powerful, but we sometimes, we have forgotten often that we are powerful. And so my role is to help guide women as they plug into the power that they already have. The power. So you you prefer the power. So I'm, I'm, the listeners, yeah. are going to, if I don't ask you this question, I'm sure the listeners are going to say, Carrie, you've missed an opportunity. So if you're <laughs> talking about the superheroes in disguise, what superhero do you resonate with? Do you have Now one? that's really, yeah, no. Um, I don't, that's interesting. I don't know that I resonate particularly, except my all-time favourite superhero is Superman. That was my earliest, you know, the whole, um, you know, the 1960s (laughs) Superman and the Superman comics. But what I like about him, so perhaps in a sense he um, epitomises the superhero very ordinary person well, yeah. wears glasses I've always worn glasses since I was six <laughs> you know well oh now, now this is really interesting I'm unpacking a few things here he's a man of words and I love words you know he's a, um, yeah. a newspaper reporter yeah. um, when you look at him and I think that's one of the things I like about Superman is that he's always Superman but he's he's so often he's more often in disguise than he is out in the open and, you know, when you rips yeah. off his shirt and the big S is there, you know, in, inside the telegraph telephone booth. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably 
that's for me if i talk about a superhero in disguise uh it's it's superman because underneath is the superhero that's it on the outside they just look like an ordinary person and thank you for being so gracious because that was a question without notice you Listeners, you know that everyone who's, you know, who's a, who's a guest on a podcast gets a, a selection of questions about here's the here's the ballpark. This is what we'll ask you, and depending on how the conversation goes, we we can detour and come back in and, and out. I will tell you something funny though. One, I've got two little grandchildren here in Sydney, uh, five up in Queensland. So the the watching the the two grow up has been. Um, been a closer ex experience I think than the than the five up in Queensland but we were in constant contact but there was uh they the the ones down here little little grandson who's who just turned seven but when he was a really tiny tiny loved course dressing up anyway this particular day he's I, I went and picked him up and I said you're coming home and we'll we've got to do a job on the way home is that all right mum we're going to stop in a, a shop what what shop and I said oh you just watch so we go to um a party shop and they've got this great range of costumes massive range anyway he just looks at me and he goes oh, can, can i get a new costume and of course i go let's have a look let's see what we can do here and i i just went okay i'm getting costume too he said you look at me are you really and i went yep so i have a wonder woman costume that that i do wear so this notion of the superheroes, I think, who are we in disguise? There's that whole notion, particularly of, of women around our age, that um, holy hell, I, I reckon we were Wonder Women in, in what we yes. were super women, Wonder Women. Yeah. And uh, that's that whole narrative that I talked to my daughter about. Mm. You know, um, you really were, were transitioning from, you know, to, to a new... Yes new way of being for women yeah so there you go that's it that's just in the side <laughs> I like it now I'm just thinking um I usually ask people what are you reading at the moment from that you might relate quite nicely to to what we're talking about today yeah actually it's so interesting that when you ask that question the first book that came to mind is the book of poetry that I'm reading at the moment and it's called Drop Bear. It's by Evelyn Arrow Lewin, who is an Indigenous uh, writer, mm -hmm. Australian writer. Now, uh, for those who don't know much about poetry, they, you know, people often hold it at arm's length because it's hard to, sometimes hard to understand because it's yeah. never written in a straightforward way. And uh, Evelyn Arrow Lewin certainly writes that way. But what she does is she like I would imagine there's a lot of Indigenous people in Australia who walk between two worlds. Yes. They've, they've got their their Indigenous heritage, but they've been raised in white Western society. Yeah. And that's certainly her case. And her poetry speaks to the struggle that she doesn't know her language or she's, you know, learning her language um, as an adult. But she's also very pithy and direct about colonizers and the poem i read this morning was a really a bit about critiquing and poking fun at all the things i grew up with you know the blinky <laughs> bill and the snuggle pot and cuddle pie Yippee. which romanticized <laughs> the bush and things like that but which really were just a i was going to say a 
heightened version of what you know what the bush was all about so she's quite she's quite pity in her um critique of um some of the things that you know white Australians take as normal as part of our heritage and our yeah. literary heritage yeah. and what I love about it and I read um Maya Angelou's complete book of poetry too so yeah. that came from a uh, an African-American perspective and both of them are both strong women who are able to give me the opportunity to look at the world through eyes I will never look yeah. through yeah I don't know. I will never know what it means Thanks to for be, that. Yeah. you know, have, have an African-American heritage or have an Indigenous heritage. And so it's it opens my eyes more. Yeah. The, um, the richness of, of dipping into another culture, yes. another style of community, a style of heritage, I think is something that we all, uh, you know, we all benefit from. And I think that's why travel um, means yes. so much for many people when you... You know, I remember going to Ireland and reading, you know, Wordsworth and all the the, the poetry there, or being being up in China, um, in Mao country, and tr trying to understand this whole notion of the revolution that that came through and the effect. Um, yes. Um, living living on a Mariah New Zealand, um, that uh, a colleague of mine, and and basically learning learning why the carvings were so spiritual what you know and how we we all slept together in in, in the massive hall like it, community style so you do you get into the culture you know wherever you go yeah oh thank you thank you for that yeah. um there's two great references so if anyone's interested in poetry um or or a good read uh it's something something well yeah. well done so from when we've covered a number of areas is there something that we haven't said yet that needs to be said in this conversation oh that's a great question um i suppose there's one of the things that i have come to understand is that i am my own best asset and i you know if i can pass one thing on to you your listeners remember that you are your own best asset because one of the things that I love about aging, and you know, I've got six decades, nearly seven, seven decades under my belt, and is the depth that is in our lives just mm -hmm. by living. You know, most of us have what we consider to be ordinary lives. We, you know, whether there's been some trauma or some interesting experiences in it, they're just ordinary lives. And yet the ability to look back, which comes with age, uh, and to connect the dots. It helps us to see that what, I suppose, what grows in us, who grows in us mm. um, as, as, we, um, as we age. And yet we are our own best asset. We've got skills, we've got experiences, we've got wisdom, we've got insight. We have perspectives that are unique to ourselves. Obviously, there are things that we share with others as well. But to just trust that, not just to trust it, we'll just make it nice and to yeah. trust it. Trust the asset that you bring, which is yourself, um, because the whole, you know, measuring tape where we measure ourselves against others, we use that too often. Oh, and what you're talking about is being age-rich. Absolutely. Age-rich. Yes. Um, a, a, a friend and a colleague of mine has, uh, start, has commenced a new business 
and has trademarked this notion of ageing richly and it's age rich, absolutely stunning because Mm. it it flips this notion of, well, you need fillers or you need to dye your hair, blah, blah, blah. You need to, all this sort of stuff, you need to to do a whole lot of interventions when in actual fact we are perfectly imperfect or imperfectly perfect, whatever way we want to look at it. It doesn't absolutely, matter. and it's um and it's being able to have the conversations with great gals, an ordinary gal like you, Bron, who is doing an extraordinary, doing extraordinary things in life and work. So, well done, you. Thank you so much. I've had a great afternoon. Actually, I've had a top day. Um, all all in all, and uh, listeners, if you've enjoyed what our conversation has been covering today, um, please. Make sure you subscribe to Thriving Matters podcast and share it. If you've got some friends, relatives, co- you know, colleagues, whoever it is, your workmates, who you think might just be interested in the topics that we're talking about, and it's all about how we thrive in life and work, whatever happens to us, and quite frankly, a lot happens to us. Um, you know, that's that's the you know that's I think why we we call. We say we're getting wiser as we get older, but uh, if you if they like that, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on on great guests like Bron Williams. Um, but also give us a little bit of love. Everybody loves a little bit of love, especially if you've got a, got a a podcast. The reason we do this, Bron, is because we are precious and our thriving matters. And I have to thank you for an absolute beautiful conversation today. It is so beautiful to see you looking sensational, looking towards uh, July, but also doing the great work you are because we do need um, mentors. We do need um, people in our own environments, in our own circles. Um, We need the gift of ourselves for others and vice versa. So thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Carrie. Listeners, we'll put some notes, uh, in the, we'll put some details in the show notes. How are you going to contact Bron? Bron, just one last thing. What's the easiest way to contact you? What would you prefer? Um, I, two ways. Stalk me on LinkedIn. Beautiful. I'm there as Bron Williams. Or email me at info at bronwilliams.com. Beautiful. Fantastic. So we're over and out. Everybody take care of your good selves. Um, and just shout out to someone who's not doing as well today as you they hope and you would hope. Look after them. Look after yourselves. Bye for now. I'm Carrie Benedett and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters. 